Um, I know I've called Jeff more than a few times, like HVC stuff, HVAC stuff, and even some plumbing stuff. When I need advice on a car, I will typically call my dad. Dad, hello, I love you. I don't know if you're watching today, but I uh, love you and thank you for always being there on the other side of the phone whenever I need some help. If I had a plumbing question or a question about electrical, my brother was typically the first call that I made. My mom is the one that I call when I need someone to ask about gardening or plants, flowers. I'll ask Sarah about our relationship. I'll ask her about parenting, about ministry, about leadership. And to be sure, I've gotten advice from all of these people about life and how to live it. But the one that I go to more than any other about life and how to live it, of course, is Jesus. He's the one I call when I need to know about truth, when I need to know about love, and when I need to know about eternity. I call on Jesus. No matter what else you may or may not believe about him, he is considered by most people, if not the, one of the greatest moral teachers of all time. And one of the most famous teachings was called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, some of the most well-known quotes that even we see in pop culture have come from this message. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And lastly, you cannot serve both God and and money. If you haven't read through the Sermon on the Mount for a while, I encourage you, Matthew 5 through 7, I think maybe into 8, I'd encourage you to read through there. There is just tons of truth in there that helps us, that um, directs us, that guides us. Another thing that Jesus taught in this sermon, although maybe not quite as well known as some of these that I quoted to you this morning, found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to an older generation, do not break an oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, do not take oaths at all, not by heaven, because it is the throne of God, not by earth, because it is his, it is his footstool, and not by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, because you are not able to make one hair white or black. Let your words be yes, yes, or no, no, more than this is from the evil one. Now, making vows was a popular way of doing business in first century Israel. But the political and religious leaders came up with elaborate ways that they could cancel their vows and invalidate the promises that they made. Jesus is condemning this dishonesty. He talks about another example of this in the gospel written by Mark. Mark chapter 7, 9 through 13. He says there, you, nearly, you neatly reject the commandment of God in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever insults his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever help you would have received from me is Corban, that is a gift for God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like this. 
they found a way to say, I, I'm going to give this, I'm going to hand this up to my parents, allow them to have um, these parts of what, I, what belongs to me, but now I have given them to God, so we're not going to give it to you anymore. The way that they've invalidated their promises. Now James, the younger brother of Jesus, repeats this message in the letter he wrote that's included in the New Testament, in the book of James, which we have been working through and walking through for some time now. James chapter 5, verse 12, James writes this, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. So you might be saying by now, Tim, you know, this history lesson is really interesting, but how does that affect us Today, What do these vows mean to us this morning? What does it mean for me? Well, what this verse in James is talking about for me is it's a question of integrity. It's a question of integrity, meaning do we do what we say and do we say what we do? Are we the same person in private that we are in public? Now, to be fair... I don't come to church and you don't really want to see me coming to church in my comfy, cashmere, moth-eaten sweater um, in my tall black socks that I wear on Sunday afternoons, laid out on the couch, probably a little drool on my face, falling asleep to some movie on TV. Right? You don't really want to see me coming into church that way. So I know there is some difference between our private and our public lives. There's some parts of our lives that are private. But the question that I want to ask you is this. Do we consistently walk out our convictions? By convictions, what we believe is right and wrong. What we believe is critical and what we believe is trivial. Do we walk these out consistently in public and in private? Even when it's easy and when it's hard. When it's rewarded and when it's costly. Now, I didn't ask if we walk out our convictions perfectly. Because none of us, including me, do that. But I did ask if we walked them out consistently. While I'm no expert on integrity, I am someone who tries to walk in it. I try to be the same person I am before the Lord in my room as I am in front of you. I try to be the same person with my wife and my son that I am with friends and neighbors. I may dress a little differently in private, and I may act a little differently in private, but as much as I can, my values don't change. The words I use don't change. The way I treat people doesn't change. Now, when I think of integrity, I think of Martin Luther. So if you go back to the 1500s, and the church had lost its way, persecuting and killing those who taught the Bible differently than the official position of the church. Now, the official church had begun to sell forgiveness for sins for money. And if you paid enough, you could make sure that dead relatives, even those who had wandered from God in this life, had wandered from the church, could get into heaven. All you had to do is pay the proper amount of money to buy them an indulgence. This was a dark time in the history of the church. Now, Luther saw these things and he was disturbed by them. Uh, but before we get, Luther was a man just like everybody else, and he had his own issues, but he got this part right. 
As he read the Bible, he kept coming back to the idea that good works can never justify us before God. Even good works done in the name of God or in the name of the church. Only, friends, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, can we be saved from the judgment and eternal separation from God that we all deserve. Only through By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone can we be saved. No amount of good stuff that we do, no amount of happy thoughts that we think, no amount of good deeds that we do to our neighbors here or around the world can take away the eternal separation and judgment from God that we all deserve. Only by grace, through faith in Christ. Now, Luther made a list of 95 complaints about these false practices, and as a result, he was eventually brought before the religious authorities of the time. And they ordered him to renounce this new teaching or face their judgment. This is what he said. That unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Knowing it was going to cost him. Knowing it was going to turn his life, his world, his family, his his world upside down. I cannot, it is not good nor right to go against conscience. So here I stand, I cannot, will not do otherwise. Even though Luther faced the threat of being thrown out of the church, and in their minds at that time, the only way to God was through the church, and even have his life taken from him, Luther's words was clear. He's not going to go against conscience. It's not right. It's not safe. So here I stand, God help me. Now, in the world that we live in today, we are overwhelmed with messages that try to shape and transform our conscience. Messages very similar to what the devil whispered to Eve back in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say you shouldn't do that? Did God really say, did God really say you have to do this? You shouldn't do that? After all, you know, the Bible was written a long time ago, and no one really knows that if God was going to talk to us today, that he would say the same thing, or maybe he would say something different today. Don't you know that the Bible's been translated and changed so many times throughout history that we don't even know what God really said? You should just do what you think is right. These lies are not just being whispered today. They are being broadcast proudly and loudly as possible in every format available. But friends, there is compelling evidence for the reliability of the Bible. And if you've been here for any length of time, you have seen the acrostic maps. That stands for manuscripts, archaeology, prophecy, and sacrifice. Manuscripts, more copies of the New Testament than any other ancient document in history. 24,000 handwritten copies of the New Testament compared to 700, the next, amount, next most amount of manuscripts of any other ancient document, with an estimated 99% accuracy of those manuscripts. Manuscripts, archaeology, never has there been an archaeological discovery that's refuted the Bible. Never. In fact, in many ways where people didn't believe the Bible, 
archaeology would come along and say, well, yeah, we actually did find that here. We actually did find that here. Over and over again, prophecy, over 300 predictions of Jesus in the Old Testament. Most of them made at least 1,000 years before his birth, and over 200 of them have already come to pass. Sacrifice. The men who wrote the Bible were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And if the story of the Bible was faked, it was faked by them. Yet these very men who gave their lives to spread the message of the Bible, would anybody be willing to die for what they knew to be a lie? Now, people die for lies, but they don't know their lies. They believe them. But are you really going to give up your life for something you know is not true? There's plenty of reasons to believe that as people uh, try to convince you that the Bible is not trustworthy today, there's lots of evidence to believe that it is trustworthy for you and for me and for those that come behind us. But I would define integrity. Coming back to James's message, I would define integrity as living by what we believe is right. By living what we believe is right. Do our standards change based on who we're with? Does our behavior change? Do the words we use change? Does our attitude change? I want to offer us three steps this morning, three steps to strengthen our integrity. Or this morning, how to have integrity. We're continuing our series in James today. It's a little different format than we normally do. We're just going to jump off from James 5.12, and we're going to look at integrity this morning. And you just need to ask you some evaluation-type questions. Do we use half-truths in our communication? Do we leave out important information to try to influence people in the way we want them to go? Do we make room for habits and attitudes and thoughts that we know are wrong? Do we find ourselves getting sucked up into negativity and criticalness, consistently dissatisfied and frustrated? Do we lack joy and peace and contentment? That is not what God wants for you or me, friends. It's not how we are designed to live. This does not please Him, and it keeps us from the strength and the purpose, the clarity, the joy, the peace, and the contentment that God wants for us, that He designed us for. So we're going to look quickly this morning at three steps towards integrity. Three steps towards integrity. Number one, these are long. Number one, humility convinces us to live more dependently. Humility convinces us to live more dependently. Somebody say humility. Somebody say dependently. I'm reading Isaiah 5, 6, I'm sorry, verses 1 and 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Can you imagine? Humility comes from a genuine awareness of God's greatness and a realization of our neediness. I thought Amy was going to preach my message this morning. Humility comes from a genuine awareness of God's greatness and a realization of our neediness. Until we are willing to allow our minds and our hearts to be convinced of God's glory and greatness, we can't really be humble in the ways that we need to be. Isaiah saw a vision of God on his throne, a vision that he shared with us. But let's try to go past the description and put ourselves in that place that Isaiah saw. Just for a moment, just picture yourself there. Right? The God of glory, the glory of God all around. Angels singing the song of heaven, proclaiming that God is three times holy. They don't have a holiest, holier type of words in Hebrew. So they just say the word three times. Holy, holy, holy. The strongest way. God is the holiest thing we can imagine. Not only did he recognize God's greatness, but he also became aware of his own need. His own frailty, his own compromise, his own sinfulness. This is why it's so important for us to come together and worship and engage with God. It's why it's so important for us to sing words to Him and to enter into His presence. It gives us a right view of Him. It gives us a right view of ourselves. It's so important for us to read the Bible and to get His truth, His message, His promises, His warnings in our hearts and in our minds. We need to continue to update the image of God that we have in our mind. We need to continue to update the understanding of the dangers of this world to encourage the process of transformation, that relationship with God and engagement with His people and His Word brings. We can't neglect that stuff, friend. It's it's the way that we're changed. It's the way that our, our minds are made right. It's the way that our hearts are restored. We can't neglect that little stuff. It's like running your car without ever changing the oil. And after a while, your motor's going to blow up and your car's not going to run anymore. It's got to be renewed. It's like your computer that needs to be updated all the time because junk comes in and stuff is trying to attack it. It needs a new understanding of how to operate. We need a new, a daily understanding of how to operate. Because what you face tomorrow is not what you faced yesterday is not what you're going to face today or tomorrow. There's truths that you knew that you learned last year that are not going to be enough to get you through this year. We have to find new things. We need to download stuff from God every day. We need to update our understanding. We need to update our devotion to God. Our understanding of what He wants us to do in the world today. If we want to live with integrity, if we want to live out what we believe is true in more consistent ways, then we need to embrace a humility that puts God in His proper place and shows us our proper place. This right understanding convinces us that we need more of God in our lives. More of God in our schedules. More of God in our habits and our attitudes. Humility convinces us to live more dependently. Number two, dependence leads us to repentance. Talking about integrity this morning. Dependence leads us to repentance. I'm reading James chapter 4 verses 6 through 10. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you want God to resist you? Anybody in here this morning to resist you? No, we don't want God to resist us. But we do need God's grace. 
He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. The devil will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, we start reading that stuff and we think that's for somebody else. (laughs) Because the Bible doesn't usually talk about believers that way. But friends, I, I believe that James is talking to us there. He wants us to have the same heart towards sin that God has. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Anybody in here still sin? Even though we're saved. Even though we're children of the King. Even though we've been born again. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be miserable. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Dependence is the conviction that we need God at the center of our lives. Let me read that again. That's really important. Because it's a lot easier to talk dependence than it is to live dependently. Right? We, we, a lot of times we live independently from what God wants, from what God says, from who God is. But if we want to live more dependently, dependence is the conviction That we need God at the center of everything we do, we say, we think. It comes from the understanding that the further He is from that point, the harder it is for us to see our sin, and the harder it is for us to respond well. And as a result, the more our lives will suffer. If God is here, the further we separate Him from our thoughts, from our habits, from our attitudes, the harder it's going to be to recognize sin. We're going to have a harder time seeing truth from error, right from wrong. The further we get from Him to the center of our lives, the more difficult our lives will be, the harder it will be to do what we do. James tells us here how God wants us to feel about our sin. We can give ourselves a break pretty easily. We can let ourselves off the hook pretty easily. We can look at other people and we say, man, what's the matter with them? We can give ourselves all kinds of grace. Well, God knows my heart. Yeah, it's deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Right? Jesus tells us here how, God tells us here how God wants us to feel about our sin. He wants our hearts to be broken over sin the way His heart is. Be miserable, mourn, and weep when we make excuses for compromise in our lives and fail to bring these to God. Our hearts become hard. Our minds get deceived. And our relationship with God grows more and more distant. How many of you have walked through times of your own relationship with Jesus and there's times where you and Him have been so close and then there's times where distance has come. Situations, circumstances, busyness, distraction, whatever it might be. And then you had to work really hard to close that distance back up. It was a lot easier to let that distance grow than it was to make it back up to get some of the stuff out of our minds, to get some of that stuff out of our hearts. The further God gets from the center, the more stuff gets in the way between us and Him. Stuff will fill that space up. 
the very worst thing we can do is ignore the promptings from God to stop what we're doing, to ignore the warnings and to keep pushing forward anyway. He calls out to us to turn from habits, from words, from thoughts, from attitudes that separate us from Him. He calls out to us back to places of humility and dependence. God, I need you. God, I want you. Please take away the distance from between us. (laughs) He loves that prayer. He loves that prayer. I'd take the, we all know what it feels like. We have distance in some of our relationships. And that's even harder to fix, right? Sometimes you talk that out. You got to work that out. But it can be worked out. That distance between God, he longs to hear us say, God, please take away the distance. This is how David said it in Psalm 51, 1 through 4. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. And guess what, friends? He will, and he can, and he does. He takes our sin and takes it as far as the east is from the west. Those don't ever meet. He drops our sin in the sea, never to remember it again. The closer we stay to God, friends, the quicker we repent and the shorter and less destructive this process becomes. Keep short accounts with God. Don't let stuff linger. Golly, bitterness, anger, um, unforgiveness. We can't let stuff linger. When our attitude stinks, when our heart's a mess, when our mind is focused on, on the wrong things, we need to not let that stuff hang around. Let's bring these quickly to God and ask for His forgiveness and for His help. There's good news, friends. Integrity will make our lives better. Integrity will make our lives more enjoyable, more productive, and more satisfying. And there are steps we can take towards having more integrity in our lives. Number one, humility convinces us to live more dependently. We need to get with God so that He can make us aware of who He is and who we are. Humility convinces us to live more dependently. Number two, dependence leads us to repentance. Dependence leads us to repentance. And number three, repentance brings us into intimacy with God. Talking about the benefits of integrity. Repentance brings us into intimacy with God. Let me read you again from Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Create for me a pure heart, O God. Renew a resolute spirit within me. Do not reject me. Do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance and sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. Intimacy brings us close to God and allows us greater access to His love, His truth, and His power, to His wisdom, His joy, and His peace. How many of you ever had like a favorite relative? You just loved going over their house. You loved being with, maybe you had a friend, maybe there's somebody, you just really look forward to being with them. Something about being in their presence encourages you, brings you strength, right? It, it, it makes you feel like it's going to be okay, like you can make it. There's some friends you talk to, man, you're just ready to go take the hill. And there's other friends you talk to and you're like, man, I don't know if we're going to make it. <laughs> but when you get in God's presence, you believe you can take the hill. Man, there's truth, there's love, there's power, there's wisdom, there's joy, and there's peace. 
getting into God's presence, He is the answer to every one of our needs. The closer we get to the fire, the warmer we get. How many of you know that's true? <clears throat> Fire's burning there. The closer you get, the warmer it is. Oh, pretty soon, you're so, it's so hot, sometimes you've got to back away. In my experience, it is the same way with God. Psalm 1611, David again writes, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, there's stuff you get from God. You can't get any other place. I've tried. Many of you have tried. Man, I've tried stuff. I've smoked stuff. I've drank stuff. I've snorted stuff. I've done all kinds of stuff to try to get some of this stuff from where I found it. When I put my fountain in the right place. When I dipped my cup in the right well. In His presence, there's fullness of joy. In His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. For all of our frustrations, for all of our heartaches, for all of our difficulties, for all of our brokenness, for all of our distractions, for all of our burdens, for the unmet desires of our hearts, they are answered, friends, in the presence of God. In closeness with Him. You're able to stand with me. Jeff, you're able to help me. The Westminster Confession, with some of I, I, I haven't, I have to say, I have an issue with, but this line from the Westminster Confession is um, something I have quoted often. The purpose of God is, the purpose of man is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. <laughs> The purpose of man is to know God. When we know Him, when we're in His presence, friends, we will experience Him and we will enjoy Him forever because He is everything good. Everything good that we experience now in a little bit, we just see the shadow of glory. We see the shadow of goodness. We see the shadow of joy. We see the, the shadows of righteousness. But one day, friends, we will be entirely in the presence of joy, of peace, of glory, of holiness, of power, of life. Friends, it's going to change us completely. The purpose of man is to know God and to enjoy Him forever in that place. But friends, we can have some of that now. And integrity is the pathway to the presence of God. God gives, God gives, um, He loves us. And He will pour out grace on us. Regardless, we, we sin, we fall down, we get back up. This uh, God's loves us but there are places there are places with God that you get from walking towards him seeking him from your heart in a way that says I don't care about that I'm not chasing after this I'm God, I'm coming after you. He feeds the hungry, friend. To the degree that we search after him, to the degree that we seek after him, we'll find him. Integrity is a pathway to 
a deeper, more meaningful experience with God. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But when we seek Him from the heart with our life, our, our lives begin to enjoy the blessing of God. They, they begin to line up better because this is the way we're designed to work, friends. We're not designed to try to follow him with carrying all these other burdens, with holding all this other stuff. And now I'm going to follow God. Hold on, let me get my backpack on. We can let go of some of this stuff. We can follow him this way. We absolutely can, but we don't have to be carrying all these other loads. He wants us to come closer, to let some of these other things drop off so we, we see him like Isaiah did. Holy, holy, holy. Whole earth be full of his glory. He wants you to be freer. He wants us to be more whole. He wants us to have more peace. He wants us to experience more of his life, more of his power, more of his love. He wants us to walk in his presence in greater and greater ways. Friends, I want that. I hope you want that today. I want it for you this morning. But some of that the old timers got right. Could they be too hard on us? Could they um, be legalistic and say, hey, if you don't do this, you're not a believer. If you don't do this, you're not one of us. Yes, absolutely. They got it wrong in a lot of ways. But some of this stuff is true and right. There's a, there's a way of holiness. There's a way of integrity and it matters to God and it opens up doors and places in His presence, access to His power. There's a pathway, friends. It starts with humility. Humility brings us to dependence when we understand how desperately we need more of God. Friends, we should wake up every day Understanding our need, the depth of our need for more of God today. Because what got you through yesterday is not necessarily going to get you through today. What you learned last year is not going to be enough for tomorrow, friend, for next year. You know stuff happens. It comes up. The only way to be ready is to have God working in us and through us. And he does that better when we get some of the junk out. We get some of the junk out of the way. We get some of the distraction out of the way. We say, God, I, I'm not, I'm not going to follow that. I'm not going to chase after this. I'm going to chase after you. God, help us. Help us to find places of humility that allows us to grow in dependence, that dependence will bring us to repentance, that we say, God, we, we've tried to do so much of this on our own. We've allowed too many other things to be too important for too long. Forgive us. Help us to continue to move you to the front of the line in all the areas of our life. God, just speak to us this morning. If there's any places where you're not at the front of the line, our hearts, our wants, our desires, Lord, forgive us today. We repent. We ask you to be, we put you to the front of our line. Your words your commands, your desires. Because repentance brings us your presence. So maybe you're here this morning, you say, man, I just, Tim, I want to I wanna walk with greater integrity. That's me. I want to walk with greater integrity. 
isn't a this isn't a message I'm shouting at you guys. It's a message as much to me as it is to anybody. I want to walk in integrity before the Lord. I want to humbly walk before Him. I want to live in dependence, and I want to continue to repent quickly so that I can be in the presence of God as often as as long as possible. It's in that place where I'm changed. It's in that place where I'm transformed. It's in that place where I'm strengthened. It's in that place that I find joy. It's in that place where I find the direction that I need to walk in this world today, to accomplish His will today. So God, we just look to you this morning. Maybe you just want to repent. Maybe you just want to tell Jesus, I'm sorry. God, forgive me for not walking in integrity, doing things that I know are wrong, um, allowing habits in my life, allowing attitudes in my life. Sometimes I act one way in front of this group of people and I act a different way in front of another group of people. Sometimes I don't give them all the truth or all the facts because I don't want them to know. Because I want them to think one thing and not another. God, forgive us this morning. God, forgive us this morning. Maybe you're listening to my voice. Maybe you're watching online this morning or you're going to watch online later. You say, you know what? I, my life lacks integrity, but I want some. I want God to change my heart. I've tried to do good. I've tried to be better. And it's never worked. I do good for a little while and I just fall back into everything else again. But friends, I can tell you, you're never going to be strong enough. You're never going to be good enough. But if you will invite Jesus to come and live inside of you, he will come and change you from the inside out. He'll change your want to. He'll make you want to learn truth. He'll make you want to do right. He'll make you want to stop doing this other stuff that makes you feel bad. We feel bad when we do wrong. We should. But guess what? We feel good when we do good. Uh, And the very best thing we can do is give our lives to Jesus. You want to get rid of the weights and the fears, the frustrations. You want to quit beating your head against the same wall over and over and over again. Try to get rid of habits you can't stop, man. Give your life to Jesus. Let him come and live inside of you this morning. Say, yes, Jesus, come and live in me. Forgive me of my sins and help me to be the man, the woman, the the young person that I could be. God, help me today. Father, forgive us this morning. Help us to live, to walk, to think according to those beliefs that we have learned from you. Help us to have integrity. Father, we thank you for it. We ask these things in your name and for your glory and by your power. That's your prayer this morning. Somebody shout it, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day today.